So instead of going straight into the interview, actually Marianne and I started talking about being parents and the fact that our children had um, not gone through the terrible teens as some of, I had reflected that some of uh, my parenting peers had been, had gone through some troublesome times with their teenagers and actually both of us agreed that both our, our kids, Marianne's a mother of two and I'm a mother of one, um, avoided that. And Marianne just reflected on the state of how young people are feeling today. It's a tricky time for young people, you know, the total hormonal madness that rages through their bodies and stuff and social pressures and all the madness. In some cases, people wait for the train to leave the station before they try to start pulling it back, as opposed to laying down the tracks yes. for the train to travel on. You know, and it's hard because you just want to give them everything and make life so easy for them, you know, but you can't, you can't do it. Following on from that, I then mentioned that, again, my parenting peers, specifically black parents, ha have been feeling guilty, especially those of my generation, maybe 70s, 80s born, of feeling bad because they're giving their kids the best life that they never had. And then they feel like there's raising spoiled children or children that don't understand the struggle and I wondered whether we could as black parents give our children the best but still make them understand that the world out there is tough without feeling like we're pampering them and I wondered if that was possible that can black parents ever just relax and raise our kids with comfort and not have to worry about them being sucker punched with realities of life. Well the thing is I think you can find it in comfort but I certainly have to it's about education. Yeah. And it's about the level of education yeah. that, that is given. Um, and it's an education that they're not going to get in school. Um, it's, a, it's about their legacy. It's about their history. It's about what it's taken for you to be mm. where you are. Yeah. What it's taken for your parents to be who they are what they could do, what they couldn't do, what is acceptable and what's not acceptable. Yeah. And having your own standards and not a standard that is built on a Western construct, particularly. So it's like trying to, you know, what their friends do or their peers could get away with, they can't get away with it. You know, or they can't say it. My, she, I'm one of them, I mean, she's so funny. She's a comedian, that one. She was going to be, even suicide, like I couldn't even kill myself because, you know, I'm, if I'm depressed or whatever, you know, I wouldn't do it because it's, it's selfish and blah, blah, blah. She goes, but even that, as a black kid, it's like, they've spent so much time trying to kill us that it's like to actually do it to yourself would be... So as we were bonding about being parents and trying to raise and teach young adults, I then asked Marianne if being a wife and mother had any impact on her career choices and if she had to turn down jobs because of her family. Was there ever a fear of missing out or fear of not getting that perfect role or missing out on that big job that could take her to the next level? Family first, um, every first. time. Um, I think that I've always known that I'd be able to provide for myself, for my family. Um, I'm very resourceful. As I always say, do you know what? If I have to make a sandwich and go outside the office and sell them, I'll do that. It's not below me. But with the children, they really clarified making decisions. 
Do you know what I mean? Either it fit in with their school holidays or, you know, they, or it didn't. So it was just like, okay, can't do that. Oh, that shoot's there and these dates work. And Okay, I can do that one. Or, you know, so it's like... Yeah, they help you find. They help me to just find that path and work through, mm. and just go. There have been jobs where I've gone. No, that's a good paycheck, though, man. Mm, but the people might drive you mad. And you juggle it, and you kind of go, "What am I going to get out of it? Mm. Ultimately, mm. will that feed my soul? Mm, not sure. Maybe I shouldn't do that then. You know." The reason why I'm speaking to Marianne is because she stars in a film called In Fabric, which showed at this year's BFI London Film Festival. In Fabric is a surreal, strange horror by Peter Strickland about a cursed dress which passes between owner to owner. And one such owner is a woman called Sheila. And this is Marianne's character. Sheila is a recently divorced mother of one and... She's looking for love. She's hopelessly, desperately looking for love. She's going through the Lonely Hearts ads in a newspaper. And before one date, she goes to buy this dress, which she doesn't know is cursed. So I asked her about why she picked this role. I'm an artist. Yeah. First and foremost. I really like the story. Sure. I love the fact that this guy's doing something different. Mm. He's exploring stuff, pushing the envelope. Um, I'd seen a couple of his other films and visually I really liked them. And I just thought this would be, whether this might work, it might not work, but the process is just going to be one that is fulfilling. And that's why I'm going to go and do it. And how did you find her character? Like her, her positioning in this film is unexpected. I just love the longing the woman just that sadness and that longing coming off the back of a divorce you know not quite connecting with her son it, that same stuff that we're talking about she's obviously because he's an only child she's obviously given him every he's spoiled so he's a bit cheeky and disrespectful and all that sort of stuff and i loved that about it i like the fact that she was looking for love you know, mm-hmm. and there's that vulnerability. So there were all these elements that I kind of went, oh, this will be interesting to play. She's not barking orders at some FBI, blah, 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 or mm-hmm. fighting for somebody in court, or da, 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 da. This is a woman. This is a working woman who's just trying to live and trying to find some joy in life. Mm-hmm. So as Marianne said, Sheila is quite vulnerable and sensitive and you know, she gets taken advantage of by her son and by this cursed dress. And it's quite a vulnerable role in contrast to what we normally see. Uh, Marianne's usually cast as the no-nonsense, Albury King, FBI agent or police chief, someone in authority that doesn't take any nonsense. It's a very it's very contrasting to what we're used to seeing. And I asked Marianne if she feels like maybe she's been typecast in any way. No, I think it's because people see you as that, and that's what's there. Sure. That is what is there. Tell me something that is not that role. Yeah, I hear you. And so this was like, yes. But weird. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like, what? No FBI. No, there's got to be something. She's an FBI agent, (laughs) undercover. No. But do you know what I mean? It was just refreshing. Um, I'm working on a couple of things uh, for development, but... I think everything is in its time. You've got to be in a certain place yourself to attract certain things. That's true. And I'm quite fine with that. I'm not 
sort of one of these people who are chomping at the bit yeah. to kind of do things. I find ways to sort of express my artistry and to challenge myself on a very personal level in life yeah. will stop. So it's not for me the be all and end all. Back in 1997, Marianne was nominated for Best Supporting Actress at the Oscars for her role as Hortense in Secrets and Lies. That film was about a young, black, successful black woman who traced back her birth mother and was surprised to find out that her birth mother was white. In being nominated, it's the kind of same old thing that we're talking about today, that post-nomination, you expect someone to be elevated and to be in all the top shows and films, and then there was, there was a kind of silence around Marianne from my perspective, outside looking in, that she wasn't being celebrated the way an Oscar-nominated person should be and was race and gender a factor. And Marianne then became one of those, in my opinion, one of the first British black talents to go off to America. And when I say first, I mean first of my generation of who I was aware of. I mean, there were people who had gone before her. She was one of the early ones who went to America to find success. But she kind of has a different perspective on it. It's interesting. I can almost look at it like as a story about someone, <laughs> but I'm not necessarily in it. I mean, I've literally read things in the press that mention me yeah. and mention it as if it's like, and it's like, oh, oh really, that's what happened, is it? Oh, okay. <laughs> Do you know? I mean, that's the thing, <laughs> so you kind of go, it's outside yeah, looking yeah, in, yeah. you know? Um, and you just go, well, from somebody's perspective, yeah. that's what it looks like or that's what it feels like. The industry in the United States of America is huge. Sure. There's more television, there's more film being made. Mm. At that time, back in what, 1998, 1999, mm. the early 2000s, there were more opportunities. And it wasn't actually going out on spec. It comes on the back of being nominated for an Academy Award mm. that over there, they're gonna be offering you stuff. Mm. I don't think it would be very wise for me to go, I'm not going, I'm staying here. For what? Why would you? Why? <laughs> Just put it this way, I look at it as a pretty high class problem. Mm. Being able to go, oh, somebody wants me to do something, yeah, oh, I'm going to go over there. Yeah. As opposed to poor me. Yeah. I come from a people who travelled from where they were born and grew up and came and lived here. And some went to America, some went to other parts of Europe, someone went to Canada. Mm. Nobody has ever been sort of like, this is where I'm from, this is where I'm staying, blah, blah, blah. It's for them, it's the world is my oyster yeah. and I'm going to find a pearl yeah. wherever. So I think the opportunities over there, there were more. I think they still are to a certain extent. Yeah. And the industry is changing in such a way that, you know, you don't have the same platforms anymore. You have more platforms for people to do what they like. And yes, people are taking charge of their narratives in a more sort of hands-on way, as opposed to waiting to be included, you know, or spoken about from somebody else's perspective, but it's always going to be from somebody else's perspective if yeah. you're not telling your own story. And then within that, your story might not be my story. I, I've never lived well, like that. That's not yeah. how I grew up. Yeah. That's the thing. So it's having the freedom and the acceptance of going, that's a story, but that's not our only story. There are many different stories in this thing. 
I had to ask about whether being in a British black person in America, whether she felt the backlash of African-Americans being upset that it appears British black actors are taking their roles. You know, I look at it and I go, and then it's the way I've been brought up. My mum and dad are just like, what is for you is for you. Nobody can take anything away from you and you can't take anything away from anybody else unless your name is T. <laughs> yeah, I'm so that whole concept, it's sad because it does reek of slave mentality and it does reek of a lack mm. and people just going, there's not enough, there's not enough, there's not enough. When there's abundance, mm. there's enough for everybody and if we had more of that mindset about things, I think that we would do much better. It's all about distraction. Yeah. Look over here, mm. they're arguing amongst themselves. Mm. So we can continue doing what we're doing, or rather not doing, mm. as long as they're infighting, which, no, it's all negatives. Diversity has been a buzzword since I launched the British Blacklist six years ago, and where it's important to get the issues in front of the so-called gatekeepers, it also comes with a high dosage of fatigue when you're constantly at the same old events, initiatives and schemes, having the same conversations, coming out feeling very elevated and buoyed up and fired up that things are going to change and then the following week you're at another diversity event, initiative and scheme, having the same discussions, the same people making promises and we're back to square one. It gets tiring. So I asked Marianne what her thoughts were about diversity and what's changing or not. I try and be solution based, okay? I try and be solution-based in things, and I think it's I think it's from parenting and trying to think what's going to work with these children. Do you know what I mean? If I'm just screaming and telling them this is wrong, blah, 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 what I tend to do is go right. This is what I'd like you to do. When you finish eating, pick up your plate, pick up your sister's plate, pick up your dad's plate, and mother, and take them over to me. That's the solution to this problem. Tomorrow night, you do it. Yeah. The night after, I'll do it. That's how I do it. But this sitting around and talking yeah. and talking and talking and talking and talking, I, I just, it's not for me. Yeah. I know that it's important for some people to have that voice and to be able to do it. But I think I've got ADD or whatever. Maybe it's a lack of patience as well. It's a Western construct again. It's kind of like, it's very difficult to from where I stand, who's quite comfortable yeah, to yeah. sort of say to people, stop looking at that then and do your own thing or, you know, because they'll say, well, have you done your own thing? <laughs> well, yeah. yes, but not yeah. in the field that you know me for. Sure. It's that whole thing of give us this or let allow us to do this. Yeah. Or, and that's the Ask whole part. Yeah, yeah, that's the whole part of it that I just don't feel comfortable yeah. with. My fantasy is you've got these people with their iPhones and they just go off and make a flipping film on it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And just get a rent out somewhere, maybe charge a good tool pole, yeah. you know, and get people to come and see their work and grow a little grassroots thing from that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Rather than this whole, can you please include us? Yeah. Can you let us do it? And although that is important on some levels, I don't have the patience. I'll be sitting there going, what's the solution then? Well, tell me what you're going to do then now. Sign up here, Pa. <laughs>
It is as it should be, yeah. In speaking to Marianne, I was just smiling and really comfortable and relaxed because she's so humble. Um, and it seems maybe patronising or cliche, I'm not sure which one, when you say that to people who are celebrities or have money or... I don't know why we expect them all to be assholes, or there's an air of um, superiority. And Marianne doesn't have that. So I asked her, how, how come? I'm a Buddhist. There's that. But within that, I have my murderous thoughts. <laughs> and I just have to chant. <laughs> I say to my kids, I'm going to be a good Buddhist now. When Marianne said she was a Buddhist and she meditates, I then had to ask for some advice because I've tried to meditate. And I think you never know whether you're doing it right because the moment you keep still, especially for someone like me, my brain goes into overdrive and I'm thinking about a thousand things. And I think, well, this can't be meditation. It can't be doing me any good because I'm just thinking about all the random stuff in the world. Well, what happens is you, because with meditation, people often think that, because I do TM meditation, but I chant transcendental okay. meditation. But I also chant Namne Horengeke, which is different, that's Nichiren Buddhism. But people think that you, you don't think anything. Yeah. It ain't possible. You're going to be like, oh God, did I take the chicken out of the freezer? <laughs> You've got all these thoughts, but you just let them come. And you just slightly observe them, you don't judge them, you know. So when you go, that idiot, that blah, 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 and you think, oh, that was not a nice thing to think, you know. You really should. So half the time I'm laughing at some of the stuff that is innately wicked with <laughs> right, to try and get over. But after a while, you just get, you'll get, in, in the TM meditation anyway, you'll get periods where you kind of go, I kind of, I just weren't thinking about anything or I wasn't focusing on something. And it's just nice anyway. There's no bad way to meditate or wrong way to do it. It's nice to sit down with yourself for 10 minutes. Do you know what I mean? Most people do like 20. You know, but just to sit there, collect yourself before you get on with all the madness, yeah. the phone, the this, the that, returning that email, no, 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 no. Just get in there, there centering yourself and being in you present and then you'll read a newspaper and want to go and polish a knife in the kitchen or whatever I mean I don't know. Marianne also managed my expectations about Hollywood because I think to us again outside looking in Hollywood's this cesspit of madness but actually she gave it some perspective. It's about that big Hollywood. Do you know I mean? It's like Deptford. <laughs> then you've got the rest of LA. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's perspective. Yeah, it really is. And it's exploring about what you want. What do you want? What do you need? Differentiating about what those two things are. And trying to find a way, I think, um, to be fulfilled in your life. And it might not necessarily, your, your work might not be the thing that fulfills you. It might be something else. Or most of my creativity and stuff takes place with my piano lessons or art classes or we've taken piano lessons now yeah 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 i've taken piano lessons for years man i'm just like a forever student i don't do grades um could you put on a concert i wouldn't because i don't I'm, I'm actually petrified of performing live i really am i did amen corner and hang ask them i'm a wreck before i go on stage yeah once I'm on, I'm all right. Okay. But before, I want to throw up. I'm like, oh, like this. I'm really sort of, but it's like a, a drug almost. I'm addicted to doing it, but it makes me feel like I'm like this about it. Yeah. I think it keeps you honest though. Okay, the day I feel like, yeah, I've got this, I think I should give up. 
we got back on track and talked some more about Infabric and what's coming up next for Marianne. Okay, from Infabric, what did I take away from Infabric? I, I had a great time. Yeah. I had a great time exploring a character that you don't normally see a middle-aged black woman playing, yeah. which, was, which was nice. And I weren't even thinking that at the time. Mm. It's when I saw the film that I thought, but wait. Oh yeah, because it's a given for us. Yeah. <laughs> Of course I can be a lonely, you know, vulnerable victim, you know, if you like. But you just don't get to see it. Um, and I, I really think Peter's got something special. I think he's really special, the way he's, the world that he creates. It's bonkers. And it's also seeing us in a genre that you don't necessarily see us in. I mean, we always used to joke about scary films and say, so you wouldn't see black people in scary films because they'll just leave the house. They're not even <laughs> and try and fight ghosts. Yeah. It's not gonna happen. Yeah. But it's an interesting genre to yeah. see, you know, people of colour in, I suppose. Um, next, I'll be doing, you'll see me, I've already done it. Um, it's a series on Amazon called Homecoming. That's about a young soldier that comes back okay. from service with PTSD okay. and he's in this treatment facility and his therapist is played by Julia Roberts okay. and it's the lovely actor Stefan James who is in If Beale Street Could Talk, that's my son. He's lovely, he's so gorgeous, yes. such a nice young man, he, he he's a lovely, well, lovely young man um, and he plays my son. So that's coming up next, and then we go into production, I think it's February, for Mixtape, which is another limited series for Netflix. This is about, it's kind of serious drama. Do you remember Pennies from Heaven and The Singing Detective? I'm Dennis Potter. So it's like serious drama, but there's music in it, there's okay. songs and stuff. So that's the next one. Interesting stuff, very different. There are dance numbers, you know, which is really funny. Are you dancing? Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. Doing some moves. Good stuff. Thank you so much. Ah, splendid. Lovely speaking Lovely. to you.